Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have our friend, freelance writer and Games Beat PC gaming field correspondent. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Rowan Kaiser. Hello. It's guest post editor, but whatever. It's well, something PC. Within within but, that space, it's the PC gaming Kaiserreich. Yes. That's what it should I, be. I am in charge of political correctness. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Civil War Wargaming, apropos of a couple recent releases that, that kind of caught me by surprise. Uh, one is Ultimate General Civil War, which I didn't realize was such an imminent release. And then the other one is uh, Shenandoah's uh, Gettysburg, The Tide Turns, a.k.a. Battle Hymn Gettysburg, <laughs> uh, which is a curious wrinkle I found in this game. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so we've, we've got a couple new Civil War war games to talk about, and I'm not sure either one is necessarily a, a full show, but it, they have very different approaches to simulating Civil War combat. And it seemed like we both come into these games with sort of uh, strong feelings about what we want from a good Civil War game. Now, I think for you, Rowan, uh, as, as long as there's there's some Western theater action, you seem to be pretty happy. <laughs> uh, but, but what are you looking for from a Civil War game beyond Shiloh? Uh, the answer can't be Chickamauga. <laughs> yes! <laughs> okay. uh, Murfreesboro, Chancellorsville, I guess. Oh, um, I would like... But I would like a Civil War game that, you know, is a war game that makes me feel like I'm being forced to make the same kinds of decisions that the generals of the era might have made. So when we did our Steel Division show, mm -hmm. we talked about how Steel Division feels very literal. It feels like you're making, like, exactly the same decisions at the micro and the macro level. It might not be true, but it feels like it's doing this. And... Um, some games have come close to this, Sid Meier's Gettysburg and Ultimate General Gettysburg, and sometimes Ultimate General Civil War kind of get there, but there have been a lot of Civil War, um, tactical war games, talking specifically now, that, um, they all kind of make similar mistakes based on how the war, how the battles of the war work, and I think it makes for an interesting overall discussion about kind of how you can do historical simulation when you know the history. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's a very difficult thing. And I don't think it, I don't think every game has done it, but uh, I think that these two games that we're talking about make a pretty good attempt in a few different ways and kind of fall down on their faces and others. Yeah. I think, you know, starting with your, your point about, feeling like you're role-playing some of the decision-making dynamics that drove the action in uh, the Civil War. I know I'm playing an interesting Civil War uh, war game when I find myself loading up scenes from Gettysburg uh, <laughs> on YouTube just because something reminds me of of that movie. Like, oh, yeah, this is, this is kind of like that one scene. Because increasingly, like, Gettysburg, uh, I don't think is a great Civil War movie. Uh, because it is so infused with really romantic, romantic lost cause mythology. 
but it is a great war movie because it is there's there might not be another movie i can name that deals with the dynamics of like army field command uh the way the way gettysburg does but the tide turns got me thinking about that scene in gettysburg where um do you remember there's the there's this scene where Isaac Trimble comes to get his, it comes to uh Robert E. Lee after the first day and he talks about how Yule basically uh you know uh Yule basically froze on the on the on the first day and didn't take Culp's Hill. Had had his corps, had a lot of fresh troops, the hill was empty, just didn't move inexplicably. <laughs> And Trimble is losing his he's losing his mind with Lee. He, he's describing the scene where he and a number of other uh, brigadiers in Yule's corps are standing there and Trimble's, you know, basically pleading for troops to go take this hill. Uh, and, you know, it's it's very biblical. Like Yule denies him three times uh, <laughs> as as he tries to as he besieges him for forces to go take Culp's hell. And it's this painful moment. It's, 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 um, it's this painful moment for Trimble because he knows that that's probably where the battle is lost. Like he's, he, he knows the magnitude of the mistake that just happened. And it happens just because sometimes commanders just run out of gas or just lapse into inactivity in the civil war for reasons that are hard to understand. And what I liked about what Gettysburg, the tide turns is doing is that, well, first of all, it's it's refreshing to see a novel um, command mechanic pop up in a Civil War game, uh, and like because a lot of them, I think, are tend to tend to be pretty traditional. And Gettysburg: The Tide Turns is going for this randomized turn order, uh, where basically armies are activated core by core, and you move the brigades within that core. But that means that there's no Union turn. There's no Confederate turn. There's just these little subunit activations. And then combat itself is also randomized. There's no combat phase. That is also a chit that gets drawn basically out of the cup. And combat ensues when that chit is drawn. Let's take a step back and kind of describe this game. It's a turn-based, hex-based war game, very traditional in, in, in the description of it. Um, it has a gorgeous map, and we'll talk about that in a bit. That's the thing that immediately drew both of us to it. Um, but, uh, it's also very board gamey, where it, like, you don't exactly see the chits being put into a cup, but it has, it shows you at the start of each grand turn or overturn or whatever, um, here are all the chits that are being placed into the cup. Yeah. And they are, you know, each Union Corps, each Confederate division, you, you, and like the random artillery and cavalry and the Confederate and Union combat phases. And they're shaken up and drawn up out at random. So like on day two, you could be the Confederacy waiting to do your big attack on uh, the Round Tops or Cemetery Hill. And you're just waiting for Hood's division to get popped out. And maybe Hood's division doesn't. Maybe Hood is under a tree eating breakfast somewhere. You know, it's, and this is a thing that happened in the Civil War, right? Um, Stonewall Jackson famously at, uh, the Seven Days Battles just 
was asleep for most of that time. He was exhausted after the Shenandoah campaign. He was sick. I don't know. Nobody knows. But the most dynamic Confederate commander was totally undynamic. And although the Confederates won a strategic victory in those battles, they didn't win significant tactical victories. And his lethargy, whatever caused it, was largely to blame. So this has a randomized thing that says, you know, maybe this commander is just not really up right now. Um, so that's that's a really neat idea that I think works well. I'm not sure... I'm still kind of working out whether it works well as like a big strategic decision-making idea, but it works very well as a... This battle does not progress down exactly the same path every time you play it. Um, yeah, that's very much my reaction. Like, uh, the tide turns sort of... It, it it hits this this place where I'm divided, where on the one hand, I kind of like to see real world, like historical dynamics uh, represented in a game and driving the action. So like, to an extent, I kind of want my Gettysburg game to roughly follow the outline of the Battle of Gettysburg. The tie turns doesn't necessarily do that. And, and that that's movement system, that command system encourages that sort of variety and you know the other part is i kind of like variety like i have defended i have gone through the stages of of gettysburg more times <laughs> the 12 to the 12 stages uh, of gettysburg um i have gone through that more times than I, than i can count i you know we we know that battle by heart so it is nice to see a civil war game take that as its setting but then also make it so that the battle plays out a really uh, diverse set of ways. Uh, that's that is cool, but it also means that, in terms of the way it's representing Civil War combat, a lot of times the battle doesn't flow the way a Civil War battle necessarily would. But you have to deal with uncertainty in a way that does feel very historical, right? You right. you have to. It, it's 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 a calculation you have to you have to make. Uh, especially as a turn progresses and you start to think about what's still in that, what's still in the cup, what, what, what is still left to be drawn. It, it, it creates, it's, it's a cool set of things that you have to have to think about. Uh, but it also means that it doesn't, you're, you're not necessarily playing the battle of Gettysburg in, in the way you're used to in a, in a war game. And uncertainty is, I think, a theme that we're going to be coming back to over the course of this show, because that's really hard for games to do, and it is an absolutely essential part of the Civil War's actual history. Um, one thing that I think that the Tide Turns does quite well is it encourages you to use the geography in the way that the generals would have wanted to try to use the geography. So, like, I sent you a screenshot where my confederate army was basically <laughs> split in half with half of them facing Culp's hill and the other half on seminary ridge facing um cemetery hill and there was nobody in gettysburg and there was no one kind of defending that middle area there was no middle to my line yeah um, and the reason for that is that if you stick your brigades out in the open artillery can just chew them up i think artillery is handled very interestingly in this game so i was basically shifting my brigades to where they would be the safest and that increasingly meant i was going further and further around culp's hill to the point where i was almost encircling it 
And I think that, you know, any war game, it's a good idea to have commanders make the same decisions that they historical commanders would have made for similar reasons. And so using the cover of a forest and the elevation of a hill in the way that this game encourages, I think was really neat. It created a particularly interesting dynamic with that, but um, I thought it worked pretty well um, up until I realized how to exploit the AI. But that first game was really interesting. Yeah, the first couple games before before the shortcomings of the AI became visible were, were definitely cool. Yeah, I think um, something that the Tide Turns is doing that I really like, you, you talk about that desire to keep searching for the flank and you sort of keep swinging out and that's true in any war game that model that models this this period but a lot of them especially civil war games um try to prevent you from doing that by imposing a lot of strict time limits uh sometimes arbitrary where it's just if you don't capture the magic position by a certain time the scenario is over and you've lost uh sometimes it's done a little more maybe realistically where you know it's not over if you don't take the objective by such and such a time but that's when enemy reinforcements start showing up and it'll get basically impossible uh but the tide turns the way a lot of my battles have worked is that the battle spreads in a way i find very convincing like the first four the, the first like clashes happen and some units break and run, some advance, lines start to form, but they're not really contiguous. And then as more and more of the armies show up, the dynamics of the battle keep sort of forcing them out toward the flanks. Especially where, you know, at you know, the Gettysburg position, you have these really dramatic uh, you know, ranges of hills and forest uh that you know you don't necessarily want to attack head on. And I think something I've enjoyed about um about this game is that the battles have enough room to breathe that you can actually have the, those flanking marches actually can work, right? Like if you commit to it early, you can actually sort of uh, make those big picture decisions uh, that commanders in the period could, uh, but that a lot of tactical war games ignore, right? Like a lot of tactical war games, uh, won't let you do what Longstreet wanted to do on the second day, which is, you know, basically, you know, start with an immediate flank march and, and try to get around the Union position. You're not going to have that option. In the tide turns, I often find, like, the armies are sort of spreading out and the middle is starting to get thinned out as everyone is groping for that advantage. And the other dynamic to that is that uh, because units can't stack, there's also a lot of pressure to get your exhausted units out of the main line of battle and maybe deploy them off toward a flank uh, where they can maybe make a difference later in the fight, uh, but to make room for fresh troops coming up. And so that's led to some interesting situations where like, you know, I, I as the union, I'm holding, uh, I'm holding on to Culp's Hill and the back half of Cemetery Ridge you know, by my fingernails, uh, basically. And suddenly my right flank is utterly, is this crucial position because, you know, Gordon's brigade is coming, Gordon's division is coming up. And the only thing in its path is an absolute shot all to hell 
uh, first corps, you know, with like the, 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 the shattered remnants of the iron brigade and, and Cutler's brigade. Uh, suddenly those, you know, those, those little tag ends of troops are making some sort of heroic last stand at a river crossing. I find that kind of cool as well, that, uh, more and more of the battlefield gets, gets used up and you're not always being sort of forced toward, uh, the familiar landmarks of devil's den, the wheat field and such. Yeah. Um, the, the game is the full campaign is 31 big turns, um, for each represents an hour with like two or three hours for, or two or three turns for the night. Um, and the map is like just about the right size for you have plenty of room to make your decision about how you're marching your new divisions when they show up. So when, um, I think, uh, early's division shows up, basically the entire North half of the map, it can deploy anywhere there. So if you want to just like have it head straight towards Cemetery Hill and go for that, you can do that. If you want to send it around Gettysburg and have it go for Culp's Hill or even further flanking, you can do that. And later on when, uh, Hood and Anderson's divisions show up, um, you're basically given the entire map to decide how you want to deploy them. Um, and they're going to take a while to get there, especially if you do the historical move of sending them at the round tops. But I feel like there is kind of space to breathe in this game, which I really like. Um, and that's what helped me realize how to exploit the AI was that I did not have to consistently be attacking and pushing. Um, on the other hand, one of the problems that I have with this game is one of the problems that I have with a lot of Civil War games, which is that uh, usually the attacker in these games, which is usually the Confederacy and almost all of them except for Antietam, is going to be aggressively pushing to take the important points as quickly as possible because the human commander, the human player that is, knows that if you don't get you know, McPherson's Ridge before the Union Army shows up, you're kind of screwed. And this is where I think a lot of Civil War games fall apart, is that they, they have that time dynamic that you talk about. It becomes, you're taking this hill very quickly because you have to take this hill very quickly. Yeah. And, like, Harry Heath was not marching on McPherson's Ridge as fast as he possibly could because he wanted to conserve his... He wanted to conserve his men in the face of really annoying skirmishers. So he was kind of going at whatever pace he felt like was necessary. And then, oh shit, there's a giant battle now. Um, and that, that's because he took his time. The Iron Brigade and Cutler's Brigade had time to show up and delay him. And then you have, and then the engagement really starts. But what I'm doing is Harry Heath is I am pushing as fast as I can to knock that cavalry out. And every time I played as a Confederacy, I have done that and taken McPherson's Ridge and Seminary Ridge before the Union even shows up to put up a fight. They're always starting at Cemetery Hill and Culp's Hill as like the main army. And, you know, maybe if that happens historically, the Confederacy says, no, fuck, I'm out of here. Or, or maybe, you know, they win that battle if that happens. It's it's really hard to tell because as someone who has played a ton of Gettysburg games and, you know, read about it and so on, I know that getting that getting that hill is absolutely essential and the Union and oddly both this and if you play the full scenario of Ultimate General Gettysburg, like 
the Iron Brigade won't show up at McPherson's Hill if you're decently fast at getting there. Um, and that's a huge advantage for the Confederacy that is only there because I'm gaming their systems. Yeah, I think the Civil War game that I think dealt with that the best that I've seen is um, is the Take Command Scourge of War uh, series where you, you'd have like dynamic victory locations where they would sort of turn on and turn off at various stages of the battle. And it always felt pretty organic uh, as it did so. Like it's not... So basically, I, I want to say like the way the way it worked is in a longer scenario, uh, something would be a valuable victory location for a while, and you could like soak up victory points uh, for a certain amount of time by holding it. But then the battle would sort of move on. You had to sort of pay attention uh, to those moments, and like or a major objective you were holding would become a minor one. Uh, I want to say, and then you'd notice like that there's a bigger one off in the distance, but tied into all that was the fact that uh, if the battle was going really poorly, I don't think those secondary locations would ever trigger. Like basically the game would react and say like, okay, so uh, we didn't succeed in uh, storming McPherson's Ridge uh, quickly enough so we're not going to be moving the goalposts out to, um, you know, we're not going to be moving the goalposts all the way out to like Cemetery Ridge. Like, no, we're we're basically now going to have all these units coming onto the battlefield. But secondary objective is McPherson. Primary is 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 still the Lutheran Lutheran Cemetery Ridge. And it was. It was an interesting system because it sort of felt like because the battle was dynamic in that in that sense, you weren't necessarily incentivized to just go chasing the magic flags uh, all the time. Like there were a lot of places where the smart thing was to sort of look at an objective and then ignore it because it was simply not going to be worth uh, the the cost in position and manpower you'd expend trying to reach it. And I think that's that is a tough balance uh, for a war game to strike, especially when, as both Ultimate General and the Tide Turns are trying to do, when they're trying to be maybe a little more approachably paced, maybe a little bit more bite-sized, uh, the take command scenarios could go on for hours. Um that's, you know, you, you basically uh, spend a good portion of your day uh, reliving a compressed day of Civil War combat at like a core command level, um, which isn't something you can ask of every gamer. But it allowed, I think, for that kind of flexibility, whereas a shorter form strategy game, I think, has to be really reductive, right? Like, what are we here to do? You're here to take the, you're here to take Seminary Ridge. If you don't do that, uh, you know, you're screwed. Yeah, and this is this is what Ultimate General Civil War is kind of trying to go at in a different way, which is that um, it's put together this campaign, which has become its main mode, which I think both you and I are skeptical of. But it's trying to do this campaign where you're fighting these battles and you're taking your manpower from battle to battle. So you don't just have to win, but you have to try to conserve your manpower to win the next battle. And... Uh, that is a thing that theoretically would give you, you know, 
the idea of what Harry Heath might have been doing, which is not immediately force marching onto the, all the hills he saw, but instead <laughs> trying to keep his people alive to get those shoes. Yeah. Um, I The problem is that you still have to win those battles that still have those victory points. So it's basically forcing you to make high casualty bad decisions or maybe good decisions because there's no ability as the commander to just say this is not a battle i want to fight let's you know skirmish a bit and withdraw um and this is something that i think is worth talking about battles that aren't gettysburg is that almost every civil war battle is based on confusion yes uh so if you know the general shape of the battle you have a massive advantage that the game has to attempt to gain you in a way that sometimes does not work and sometimes does. And I think the tide turns randomized divisions and cores is a pretty good way to kind of simulate that in a way that doesn't feel arbitrary. Whereas Ultimate General can very much feel arbitrary, but Ultimate General right now has, you know, a dozen great Civil War battles in it that... uh that's that's a really great selling point because you know it's pretty rare to fight chancellorsville or uh, murfreesboro or some of the non-gettysburg slash antietam battles yeah i um though i'm not i guess i'm i'm still skeptical of the decision to Okay, so I always really liked the 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 Sid Meier's Gettysburg model of taking a battle and breaking it up into these discrete chunks, right? So you'll have uh, the battle for McPherson's Ridge in one scenario. You'll have the fighting at uh, Barlow's Knoll uh, for for another scenario, and it it it, it it's twofold in, in those situations. One is that. Um, you know, first of all, a lot of Civil War battles do have these wonderfully specific uh, segments of the engagement, right? Where, like, you know, they're, they're, you know, the the Battle of Gettysburg is really this assemb this assembly of a ton of completely different and distinct battles firing off simultaneously. Uh, you know, Shiloh uh, is is another case where you know the fighting in the Hornet's Nest uh, is. You know that is that is a full that is a full engagement in itself, and it's it's one part of the the Shiloh battlefield. Um, I like that both because it it allows you to zoom in on those uh, encounters and really get specific about them, which which I enjoy. It also just from a an approachability standpoint makes it a little easy, like. I'm not always choosing to fight the whole battle. I can just be like, you know, I I, I feel like right now I want to I want a little Malvern Hill action, uh, something like that. That that's kind of cool. Whereas Ultimate General Civil War, unlike Gettysburg, is breaking these scenarios up into like chapters, which yeah. on the one hand it's on the one hand it's clever because it does sort of. It starts the battle at the skirmish level where the first units are starting to clash and it's a, you know, it's a pretty small battle. And then it introduces 
another sector of the battlefield uh, where there's another clash happening. And then it sort of expands its view. And now you're managing both fights simultaneously. And then the map might expand again. And now you're fighting the entire battle. It's it's kind of a cool dynamic. Uh, but on the other hand, it also means that I can't just have these really vivid and memorable uh, battles over these really uh, detailed small locations, uh, right? It, it, it's sort of, it, it, after a certain point, it almost feels like the, uh, the resolution level of the battlefield starts to fade. And that's yeah. not what I really want in a Civil War game where I guess maybe I'm still so influenced by Sid Meier's Gettysburg, right? Where everything is about specificity. It's about where is that exact copse of trees? Is it, you know, how much of the unit is in that versus is out in the open road? This stuff matters. And in Ultimate General Civil War, after a certain point, it feels like, um, I don't know, it, it just it, it just feels, uh, you know, very, very, very sprawling and a little bit blurry in a way I don't like. Yeah, it's almost all of the battles go small, medium, big, big. They have like four sections or three sections, small, medium, big. And it's... Um, the big is not terribly fun a lot of the time. Uh, but another huge problem is that you have this confusion issue where all of these battles with maybe the exception of Antietam is like some weird kind of meeting engagement where no one knows exactly where the other side is. And even Antietam, there's this huge amount of confusion because McClellan thinks that Lee's army is three times bigger than it actually is. Um, but uh, that can be modeled in a game like Sid Meier's Gettysburg because each of the scenarios is like a choose-your-own-adventure where what happens in one leads to the next, and the next one might be somewhat randomized. You might be marching in from a slightly different direction than you're used to. An enemy brigade might be in a different place than you're used to. Um, and it allows for all these different things, whereas by being the same contiguous battle... Um, Ultimate General Civil War is forced to rely entirely on its simulation and its AI, and they're both good. Well, the AI has gotten better. I don't know. Good might be a strong word. They're both they're both good for the genre, but they're not good enough to capture that feel of wanting to fight an entire battle. Um, even Ultimate General Gettysburg, which is very much based on the Sid Meier's Gettysburg Choose Your Own Adventure idea would, by the end, just bog down into tiny little barely functioning brigades and a shit ton of artillery blasting each other for these little victory points. The It's really hard to get that simulation so right that you can do the whole battle. Um, one of the things I like about the Tide Turns, by the way, is the way that it doesn't have direct troop counts. You're not like, yeah. I have a 3,000-man brigade here that's suddenly gotten melted into 1,000. It's, I have a pretty big brigade that is now less big. Um, and that, that sort of relaxes some of my historical anxiety or historical model anxiety. But uh, that's not the whole, the whole thing. You want, you want the simulation, like, if it runs, to go in a way that feels like the battle should be right and... Um, I'm not sure that Ultimate General Civil War is at that point yet. When it has the battles that are interestingly divided and compressed, uh, 
Chancellorsville and Chickamauga, I think, are its two best. Um, it works really well. But when you get Antietam, for example, the first two scenarios where uh, uh, the Union Tech stunk your church and the sunken road, those are both really good. But then it goes into the entire battle all at once with the Union still attacking Dunker Church, the Union still attacking the sunken road, and now Burnside's attacking. And it's it's just this big, untidy brawl that you probably already know if you've won or not and you're just going through the extremely detailed motions of finishing it off. Yeah, that's uh, that's the other thing about this structure is that um, so the other advantage to having it broken into these, these discrete chunks like that is in addition to being able to select the exact part of the battle you like uh, it also saves you from this problem that I think Ultimate General Civil War ends up suffering from pretty badly, which is that um, it's like the checkpoint problem, where you know, in like a racing game, the if you're doing problem, like, <laughs> nobody calls them waypoints. Uh, <laughs> but you're not like you're playing a racing game. You're doing like a, a, a time trial challenge, right? Like sometimes you'll just know that because you botched a turn three or four turns back, you're not going to hit that final checkpoint. It's just it's just impossible because you're just a little bit behind where you need to be and you're not going to be able to make up that lost uh, time and space uh, except by doing really risky stuff that will probably actually cost you more time. And a lot of times I feel like the dynamic in Ultimate General Civil War is that you play the scenario, the first couple phases go okay, third phase you just get rocked or something and you realize like oh okay i needed to do like i needed to do something different uh let me let me do that again i'll be a little more conservative i'll i'll be a little more cons uh you know conservative with my forces in those first two phases and that way i should have enough to do C uh phase three and get through that all right okay now i see uh phase four now i see what the problem is there and so every time it ends up being like um you know, when you're playing, if you're learning to play a piece of music, it's like you have to start from the beginning every single time you screw up, uh, you know, a, a passage toward the end. That's kind of how Ultimate General Civil War feels, at least to me, uh, which I find kind of, uh, I, I find kind of grating, right? Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to keep playing chapter one and two to make these, like, marginal improvements in the skirmish phase so that I can have... Uh, strong enough forces in phase four in 35 minutes. Right. But it's instead of having you make these dynamic decisions on the fly, its structure is such that it's predictable in a way that you feel like you can improve. And, you know, that might be good in a racing game. Uh, might be good in a platformer. Like this is the sort of thing that, you know, something like Super Meat Boy is based on. It's not that great in like a two-hour battle that you're fighting. Um, well, and it's it's also just a very um, inelegant way of forcing that civil war uh, train of historical accuracy back onto the rails. Right, uh, right. It's like no, god damn it! You are going, you are going to fight for Henry's Hill at first bull run. There's going to be a big, there's going to be a big hoop to do at, Henry, at Henry's Hill. We are gonna, we're gonna get the whole armies together. It's going to be a hoop to do. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, 
I've had versions of that battle where the opening phase is it turns into just a complete bloodbath north of actual bull run, right? It, it turns into an absolute like just slugging match in that open field uh, north of north of the river. And there's no reason to go storm Henry. You know what I mean? There's no, there, there's no reason as a commander that you would then force things into that next phase, except the game is like, no, now you got to go take this. Well, why? Yeah. I'm just going to get my ass kicked. Yes, that's the point. The Confederates win this battle, dummy. Go. Except that if you're doing the campaign as the Union, you still have to win, even though it's a battle you historically lost. I don't know. I'm not a fan of that, and that seems to be the direction they've gone with the whole campaign, which is disappointing. I wanted it to be more Sid Meier's Gettysburg, where if the that battle north of the river is interesting, and that's where the battle is now, um, or it's Sid Meier's Gettysburg, that's if, you know, the Confederates win those early skirmishes, then... The next scenario is a fictional one that depicts what it would be like if the Confederates had won those. And what Sid Meier's Gettysburg did fairly well was it sort of made those increase in difficulty. Like, the more scenarios you win in a war in a row, the more likely it is you'll get one where you're just totally screwed. Like, um, God, I hate that. The Panzer General model. <laughs> the, the, you, well, it works with Gettysburg because it pushes you back to history. Yeah. Um Panzer General is not historical at any We're um, at the gates of London and there's a billion Brits. <laughs> yeah. Um So uh like if you're the Union and you win those first two battles at uh uh McPherson's Hill and then um Rhodes attacking from the north, and then it goes to you know Early's attack on Blutcher's Knoll, which you don't have much of a chance of winning. And that eventually pushes it back to, okay, we're back at, you know, the Confederates are facing Cemetery Hill and Culp's Hill, and now they have to figure out what to do. And then, you know, you go to the Peach Orchard, where, okay, now the Confederates have the advantage again, um, even if the Union has won the last few scenarios. Um, but you have these fictional scenarios that exist if, you know, it goes yeah. off the rails a bit. So if the Confederacy does win at McPherson's Hill in the first one, then they go on to, to attack Cemetery or Seminary Ridge, which is interesting. And, you know, it's slightly different each time. I'm going and repeating myself at this point, but Ultimate General yeah. Civil War is lacking this. Um, theoretically, this should be something that happens dynamically in the battle, but it can't happen too dynamically as constructed right now because it's based on these very, very strongly set victory points. Um, another issue that I've had with a bunch of different Civil War games, particularly the Battleground games from the 90s. Yeah. Battlegrounds, yeah, right? Yeah, the, the Tiller series. Yeah, um, is that because... Unlike Ultimate General Civil War, which has this idea of a campaign, they're, all you're trying to do is win this battle. So you can just keep throwing your troops into the meat grinder because that's a good thing for you to do because all you're trying to do is win that one battle. Um, this is a, this is an issue with the tide turn, so it's not quite as bad as in other games, but I, by impulse in most Civil War war games is to just keep throwing my troops in the meat grinder until they break through. Um, 
be slightly smarter than the AI, know that these are the exact points that I need to hit, and make sure that I get them no matter how gruesome it becomes. Um, so almost every ultimate general civil war battle I have that's I don't usually play in the campaign turns into, you know, Chancellorsville with 20,000 more casualties than the actual battle had, because all I'm trying to do is win. It does not matter. And this is a thing that I think Civil War games, alongside the whole Fog of War issue, need to deal with is the idea that uh, these things can turn into meat grinders and people don't actually really historically want to be in meat grinders and don't really want to be today. Yeah, I think, um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that Civil War battlefields, because of that specificity I talked about earlier, I think there is a mystique to geography around the discussions of the Civil War that, it, to me, feels unique. Uh, like I know that a lot of these dynamics are Napoleonic, and terrain certainly mattered in Napoleon's campaigns, but like maybe it's just sort of the influence of like America's fetishization of this particular chapter in our history. Uh, could also just be, there's a hell of a lot of good folksy, uh, colorful names, uh, for places where these, where these battles occurred. Um, but yeah, the, the hornet's nest at the devil's den. I mean, come on. I mean, hell yeah. Right. Like that's, that's fantastic. Like those are places. Yeah. They're loaded with import with significance. The um, bloody angle. And, and so I think it makes it very easy then to translate the action of a civil war battle to laying that magical importance to the space itself and not what it represented. So like, you know, Devil's Den, Little Round Top has utterly no value whatsoever if the Union had just positioned some strong forces on on Round Top, on, on Big Round Top, right? Like it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, and so if you're playing a, if you're playing a war game that gives you that flexibility to take the, take the big hill, uh, and like put artillery up there, uh, then there's no point for there to still be a magic victory location in this, this other position. And I think that's, um, something a lot of these games, uh, definitely struggle with something I do like that tide turns does. And so does, and and so does the Take Command series, is that victory points are part of it, uh, but the other thing you're going to be assessed on is just battle damage and and, and casualties. This this came up in, in SIDS Gettysburg uh, as well, but I think in those scenarios, it's a little more, because those scenarios are so self-contained, I think it made it a little easier to sort of play the victory locations uh and it didn't matter so much about the big macro decisions you're making with your army in the tie turns and take command uh because you have a little more flexibility in how the battle flows and what you do with your forces um you do end up considering more of these trade-offs of do i want to hold the magical position with the flag on it or is that going to cost me too many troops and it's going to come bite me uh, you know, come scoring time to say nothing of the fact that, you know, in general, you don't want to waste troops. Like you, you still want formations intact. Um, and so I think that's, that's a 
that's a tension that I think Ty Turns is handling pretty well in that there's there's times where you are far better off just sort of seeding a victory location rather than trying to rush and retake it. Because if a bunch of units get shattered during that effort, then you're actually not coming out ahead uh, if you clear that space. Yeah, um... That battle that I sent you the screenshot of, I didn't have any action at all of the Devil's Dead. The point of the highest casualties on both sides was that creek between um, Culp's Hill and the hill facing it. I think it's Wilson's Hill. I don't remember. Boy, that's really interesting. Yeah, so you went all the way out to that flank. Yeah, that when I got the second big rush of reinforcements, um, I think Pinder's division. Yeah. Um, I sent those along with Early's division out to my left to try to go around the Union right. So that was that really was half my army. Um, at that point, just became an absolute bloodbath. Um, so, like, I think this game does handle that kind of potential idea well. Another thing is that its victory points are really limited. Um, yes, it's it's very board gamey. It basically says if the Confederates hold two of these six victory points, which are almost entirely around Cemetery Hill, I think the second day has one on Round Top. But it says if the Confederates are holding two of these, um, yeah. that's game over, and that's all. That's it's not sure. okay. You have to take McPherson's Hill by turn three. It's just this is this giant spot that commands the entire battlefield and everything is built around that which i think um maybe in a bigger game this would be annoying uh but for the the scope of the tide turns i think it works pretty well so let's talk a little bit about uncertainty as well because this is this is the thing that um I think it was trickier, certainly at the tactical level, especially to bring the life. But like the Civil War and maybe arguably anything post post Napoleon, the minute you have armies starting to break up by core and basically armies can't travel together anymore. They have to have these really complicated uh, lines of march and marching orders uh, in order to get anywhere with any kind of speed. And because of that, it also increases the odds that stuff is going to happen that people just aren't aware is happening, right? Like, so you've got Napoleon at Waterloo, like literally uh, seeing units appear on his flank at, uh, well, it's not Waterloo. Um, it's, uh, oh God, what was the, um, the other battle on the same day as Caterbra? Yeah, the um, Ligny. Ligny, yes. You've got you've got a French corps that appears on his left flank at Ligny, and he starts. He doesn't know it's French, so he starts like I think guarding against a flank attack coming from that direction. Then he realizes they're French, and he's like, "Fantastic, we can launch this flank attack now." Except that corps then turns around and starts marching back toward Caterbrock because they've heard there's a fight happening there, and they don't know what's happening at Ligny. Uh, so. <laughs> You have, you know, any time in this period in history, you have a lot being left the discretion of these sub commanders. There's a lot of variability in in what can happen, and and senior commanders don't actually have that much control uh, over their armies uh, any, anymore. Not until not until they they sort of converge and come back into command, um, and that is a pretty major feature of the Civil War because 
you do have, you know, again, armies traveling in that in that same sort of pattern. But then you also have a lot of periods in the war where armies are being shuffled in and out of theater. Uh, and, and so you've got, um, you know, there, there's a number of battles in uh, Northern Virginia between the Army of Northern Virginia and the Army of the Potomac uh, where you've got units sort of uh, rushing back from uh, campaigns that wrapped up like literally days earlier in uh, like, you know, the, the, the Shenandoah and Cumberland regions uh, at yeah, times. Or, or on the peninsula. Right. And, and and so I think something that I that you want from a lot of these games is that feeling of not really knowing what the hell is going on. And that is a that is a real challenge for games to reproduce uh while also faithfully recreating battles themselves. And I'm not like it it's a place where what what I want, I know for a fact is like contradictory. What I want is to not exactly know what is going to happen in a battle. Like I want that. I want it to feel kind of fresh and new in this way of, I don't know when so-and-so is going to show up along the cash town pike, right? Like, I don't know who's coming up that road. I don't know when they're coming or if they're coming. Um, But at the same time, I want something that is roughly accurately simulating a battle. And so it's it's this weird thing where on the one hand, I want you to reproduce the battle. On the other hand, I want you to randomize it so that it's every bit as confusing and unpredictable as it was for the commanders on the ground at the time. You know what I mean? Like so I want I want the battle of Gettysburg, but I want it to take I want it to feel like it could take any number of shapes. But then ultimately, I want it to turn into the Battle of Gettysburg. Well, I mean, I think this sort of goes back to where I started by saying, you know, I want to feel like the game is having me make these decisions in the same way that a Civil War general might have had to make these decisions. So I want to, like, be encouraged to make a bad decision for whatever reason, because I just don't know. Um, But that bad decision will eventually lead to a system that says, you know, the geography of this battle says that whoever's on Cemetery Hill is going to win. Um, so there's there's that aspect of it. Um, another thing is that I think historically, the Civil War is in a really interesting position where we think we know a lot, but we don't entirely know everything. It's an extremely well-documented war in some ways, and not, but it's well-documented how much people didn't exactly know. Like, I was looking up um there is a confederate brigade that supposedly marched up onto cemetery ridge saw it and then pulled back like they were able to look over and see the union armies marching but people don't know if that actually happened like some of the men and the generals describe it in a way that make it sound like it does or it did happen but uh this isn't like generally documented in the story of the war that there was a brigade that had to be pushed off um so there's this confusion about even the very nature of the history of the battle that should be if not necessarily part of um any game that attempts to simulate it but it should be you know attempted to be simulated like uh tides of war has its randomization um 
and this has got to be really difficult for a game designer. <laughs> Uh, because there is this mythology of how the battle should go, how the battles in general should be, how Civil War tactics worked, and how to try to model that kind of thing. Um, one, I think Chickamauga has a crucial point early in the battle where the Confederates are attacking. They've almost got the entire Union army shattered, and one single regiment has brand new rifles that fire four times faster than every other rifle and they're just standing on their battlements firing away and like literally holding the union line in place to allow for a retreat uh how do you model that exactly <laughs> like that's that that's rough i think um I think that's true of any of, of a lot of wars in the modern era as well, is that they're deceptively well documented. Um, like in in classical and medieval history, it can be a little exasperating because you'll be reading like you'll, you'll be reading accounts of campaigns and there's literally like profound disagreement about basic facts of the campaign or even if. Uh, well-documented historical incidents actually happened, uh, right? Because it all traces back to the same dubious source uh, eventually. Um, and, and like every modern historian says, all of these troop counts were exaggerated by at least 10 times. Right. Just as um, a general rule. <laughs> or there's there's my personal favorite. Uh, I want to say, did the, it's, did the Battle of Agincourt really happen? <laughs> uh i like and uh, look it's possible this has been totally debunked but i i've always loved this um i remember reading a few years ago uh that like there was increasing anxiety in the um um <laughs> so the, the, the in in the community that is going through like excavating historical sites in northern in in northern France, that they have not found uh, the Agincourt battlefield with the piles of dead Frenchmen that should be there uh, if it went down uh, the way sources uh, say, and there's increasing doubt about like whether or not that battle even happened the way the English sources sort of sort of claim. Um, you have in the civil war a lot of documentation but then yes there's a lot of there's a lot of incidents where uh there's just kind of a mystery as to you know uh whether or not you know like the story of you know someone taking Culp's hill uh on the confederate side and not holding it um and then of course you've also got the you know you you also got the issue of a lot of key sources died uh, before they could ever explain their thinking, uh, so you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Stonewall Jackson could have probably shed a lot of light on various campaigns, except he got shot by his own men. Yeah, um, and the Union commander for the bulk of the first day, John Reynolds, just gets nailed by a sniper. He's gone. Yep. Um, first day at Gettysburg, that is. So, but the the other the the other thing I want to touch on. Uh, is strategic level, uh, you know, getting away. These are these are more battlefield sims uh, we're talking about, but but I think maybe some of what I want 
would be better served by a more operational level uh, Civil War game, of which there don't seem to be a whole lot. No. And, uh, like, there's the um, the Age Odd series, but, uh, like, I'll be honest, I've just, I, I, I stopped enjoying that system. Um, I, like, I, I think I just hated that interface and the uh, the fussiness tax you had to pay uh, to, to make the slightest thing happen uh, with, with the Age Odd games. Uh, the, you know, de- maybe a decent way of representing the Civil War, particularly... Uh, with their rather ingenious seniority system so that you couldn't simply uh, bypass all your shitty commanders and get to the good <laughs> ones. You had to promote uh, the top-level guys into positions where they were radically unsuited uh, and then let them fail. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool system that allows you to recreate some some good dynamics. But I think maybe what I, what I really want in some ways is maybe it's something like... Um, the hegemony series, uh, maybe a, a little less, uh, you know, a little less arcadey uh, in some ways, but where you've got this sense of there being like actual distance and and geographic regions that are all part of a contiguous whole. Maybe I want something like the uh, the Panther Games uh, series, World War Two series, where it's all about. Uh, you know, order delay and realistic fog of war and command control and communications. Uh, but there just don't seem to be a lot of Civil War games that that focus on that stuff. And I think one area where that really ends up hurting is uh, Western theater and, um, you know, ten- you know Tennessee, uh, K- Kentucky region, uh, where... There's not necessarily a ton of giant set piece battles, but there are pretty involved campaigns being waged between the two armies that have a lot of smaller engagements and are really about, you know, uh, outmaneuvering uh, the enemy and trying to sort of expose key locations without necessarily fighting a big battle because neither side has the resources uh, to fight. Uh, a, ma- a major engagement like something I love about the early days of, of Grant and Sherman uh, you know out in uh, the, the Mississippi theater is that so much of that campaign certainly feels like it's on a shoestring right where it's they're so neglected that in some ways it's enabling them to to run campaigns that um, they might not otherwise be able to if Halleck were a little more alive to to what they're thinking but we have so we always end up returning to the battles in northern virginia and maryland uh but we end up neglecting a lot of the really important action in the war uh in the western central theaters yeah like the siege of vicksburg is generally considered the biggest thing that you know won the war right like it's the siege of vicksburg in any game no, I mean sieges are tough to make good, but, I mean, but on tactical still, level they are. There's there's still a big long campaign yes. that Grant had to do really really creative ideas. You know, this is why he's the best general in the war is that he had to on his shoestring with a fairly small army against a much smaller but still actually active Confederate army like get around to Vicksburg and get it under siege. Um that it's it's you know one of the most impressive campaigns in the entire war uh but it's not something that's in the games because we just we don't have there are a few strategic level games 
Yeah, there was one in the 90s. I don't remember. I think it might have just had a name that was just like the American Civil War. Oh, boy. Yeah, I you, of. Oh, boy. Did it have uh, little like th- th- proto 3D battles? No. Okay. Thank no, God. this was this was earlier. This was just like all a map with chits. Okay. Uh, you, sorry, you accidentally tread close to one of my bet noirs. <laughs> Bad 3D battles. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was this disastrous sequel to uh, the pretty good Napoleonic's game Field of, Field of Glory. Um, and then oh right right yeah and then uh, what was his name Adrian? Uh, I can't remember his name. But he was like, great, we've got tactical battles that are really vividly represented. What's next? A dynamic campaign covering the entire war? Hell yeah, let's do it. It's 1993. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this was like 94 or 95. I remember it was an early CD-ROM because it also came with like a full encyclopedia. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I remember that. Maybe I'll I'll hit Moby Games in a second, but... Uh... So what I was getting at with like these, almost every battle in the American Civil War is based on not knowing, right? It's a situation where these commanders think that they have a big advantage and they want to try to press it and maybe they're wrong and maybe they're right. Or these two armies just randomly run into one another. Um, There are only a few... battles where each side basically can look across, see each other, and decide when they want to go. Uh, Antietam and Fredericksburg come to mind immediately. But most of the rest are based on these campaigns of these armies kind of going around, fainting, trying to figure out how they can get the advantage, and then hammer it home. Um, The exception to this, again, is Grant, who whose 1864 campaign with the Army of the Potomac is basically built on not having battles that he can't predict. So he will go and fight the battle, and then in the Overland campaign, he just says, I'm going to continuously march around Lee's flank and force Lee to keep fighting me. It keeps everything, even though he loses every single one of these battles, it keeps the war under the control of him knowing exactly where Lee's army is and him be having the strategic advantage in consistently pushing towards Richmond. Um, and these are the battles that you never ever see in games because they're kind of boring because Grant basically said the tactics don't matter that much. It's only the strategy. I mean, I'm sure he would have loved to have won those battles tactically, but, um, he basically took the fog of war out of the game or out of his game, his campaign, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that I think is, um, those dynamics are tough. Like it's not, most games just don't want to represent that stuff. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's because the appetite is always for the familiar battles and the, uh, you know, the, the lines of the blue and the gray, uh, you know, racing toward, you know, some, some famous hill with a rustic goddamn name. Um, but it does mean, I think there's kind of a dearth of games that sort of present the larger context for a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of room to do that. It's just that, that nobody really, really has. I think the the Western theater is a is a perfect case uh, for for where that where that could and, and should be done. 
Um, and then, yeah, the late war stuff. The late war stuff, that's almost, you almost have to represent it that way because, again, the battles are also getting less and less dynamic. Um, you know, by by 1865, it is it is trench warfare and fixed positions because that's the only way Lee can keep his army together. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe it's that, like, a lot of Civil War games are good at they're good at scratching that tactical uh itch you know they're 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 good at giving you something that has that same great gettysburg or bull run taste um but in a lot of cases they're just a little too familiar and they're maybe a little too hidebound with uh with sort of recreating the, the the battle itself and not letting it sort of go off in interesting directions. Uh, Ultimate General Civil War, um, sorry, Ultimate General Gettysburg, I think certainly committed that sin, sin where all the scenarios uh, somehow converge back at Pickett's charge, uh, no matter what happens uh, in the battle itself. Um, but beyond that, there hasn't been a lot of experimentation uh, with what else is possible uh, with with a Civil War game, I want to say that John Tiller did do a pretty good. Uh, I don't think it was a Battlegrounds uh, series or even Battlegrounds derived, but I want to say he did a pretty involved uh, war game of Grant's campaigns uh, in in the early part of the war along the Mississippi, but I can't remember what it was. But there's not many games that do that. Uh, and, and it's a damn shame. I, I wish I wish there were because um, much though I love Gettysburg um, and a few of the other really well represented battles, uh, I, I would like something that sort of natively lives in that place of uncertainty, where like because of the way the game is structured, you don't necessarily know what the Battle of Gettysburg is going to be. Like, literally, you don't know what's going to happen at Gettysburg. You're sort of where Lee's at, right? You want a decisive battle. You want to fight somewhere uh, where you can finally lure this enemy into the open and shatter them. But you don't know when or how that's going to happen. And so you're just moving your army along, trying to, like, feel your way toward that opportunity. That's the Civil War game I think I want. It's, you know, it's it's all the stuff on the first day, really, and the stuff that led to the first day. Here's one of the problems that i think anyone who's trying to make a game like this will run into is if you're trying to do a game that sort of has a dynamic enough campaign that will create this confusion um but you also want to actually like depict the battles Mm -hmm. then you want those actual maps so are you just fighting gettysburg on a map from different directions are you using a generic map are you trying to model the entire eastern half of the united states um like how are you making this decision and how you make this decision essentially pushes all your battles down a particular path um and i you know given the importance of terrain in the civil war like a generic battlefield does not sound interesting at any level yeah yeah i don't i don't think so uh, John Taylor's campaign series, by the way, I think is what I was yeah. thinking of. No, uh, that's World War II. It's Campaign Overland. No, no, no. It's part of a series. Uh, it's his Civil War Battles series. Um, oh, wait, that doesn't seem right. I guess they are just battlefield sims. Because right at the top, 
there's helpful information. Each hex is 125 yards, and each turn is 25, 20 minutes. Uh, so that's that's not the strategic level I, I think I wanted. Yeah, campaign overland seems to be the one that you are thinking of. 105 scenarios starting in the fall of 63. Oh boy. Scenarios range from small cavalry actions to a monster 1,390 turn scenario covering the entire campaign on a single map spanning over 1 million hexes. Jesus God. This sounds like a wargame-ass wargame. Well, like, yeah, and then there's also, um, oh, like, you know, relevant to your interest, Campaign Shiloh. (laughs) 212 standalone scenarios. The man knows his audience, I guess. Yeah, he he sure does. Um, boy, these are ugly ass games. <laughs> All right, so now we're just now we're just now we're just googling stuff. So it's, it's time just, to uh, it's time to wind this down. One last thing I did want to say is, um, I think ultimately, with Ultimate General Civil War in particular, there might just be a misalignment of what I want and what that game is trying to do. Like. I think- there totally is. I just I I would go a little more objective and say that they're they're wronger than us. They're not totally wrong, <laughs> but they're they're a little more wrong than us. Objectively, they're they're a little more wrong. Uh, yes. I would I would agree. Um, and, and I think part of it too is like there's a certain okay. The, the last thing I'll say about that game and just any sort of attempt to model this uh, th- this type of warfare and keep it like really casual and light is that Ultimate General Gettysburg was pretty fun and breezy. It got really hard to play when the map got really congested, but like, you know, those early first, second day scenarios uh, were really, really, really good and fun. But the controls for commanding those forces while kind of elegant in their simplicity were not exactly precise and it made it difficult to position soldiers and batteries smartly uh to read terrain uh you know very smartly. well yeah um <laughs> and i feel that's all gotten much much more exasperating in ultimate general civil war where really? i think it's way better Oh man, dude, no, I can't even I can't even draw a movement arrow that accurately like okay, so like every time my troops have to cross a stream or a bridge, it takes me like four or five tries to figure out cuz my mouse is not drawing that line. Uh so it's it's a, it's a line drawing movement system. So you 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 take the unit you want to select and you draw a cool little arrow to where you want that unit to go and they'll follow that that line of march and and go to the place. But that creates a problem because, at least on my computer, where my mouse cursor is pointed is not where the arrow is being drawn. The arrow it, is being drawn it's like... It's like an inch off. Yes. Yes, I, indeed. See, I, I, usually move, I usually do the movement by telling my troops where I want them to go, and they are reasonably decent at like going into a column and getting there. Um, via a an efficient path unless you know they don't which 
does happen sometimes. But yeah, I, I do the end point instead of the process, and I, I think that's what maybe gets me around your issue. Okay, yeah, because I am like trying to get guys across bridges, and I'm like, just please cross this, and they're like, nope, sorry, I think. I think you wanted that to stand by this riverbank. Civil War simulation. <laughs> you just... wanted these commanders to make stupid decisions for no good reason. Like, is, <laughs> is this not ideal? <laughs> General Yule, you would give me one brigade and cross this river. No, no, I think uh, General Lee left a pretty clear instruction. Uh, we were to take this loopy line to this <laughs> riverbank and uh, uh, go play the stream for a bit. Yeah. Just gonna stand here, right in the right in this perfect natural trench for someone to shoot down on us. Yeah. So the the quest for the uh, the perfect civil war game, I, I think, continues. I do think that if they refine and develop the tide turn system, it could be really something special because, like, that map is big enough that. You know, you and I have both had experiences where the balance of the Battle of Gettysburg shifts in some weird directions and isn't is ahistorical in some cool ways. Uh, I could see that being done to good effect with with other battles. My reservation is it kind of feels like maybe there wasn't a ton of effort put into making the tide turns as good and as finished as it could be. Yeah, uh, we, we we've been praising this game a lot more than uh, uh, perhaps we needed to, given that uh, it has some pretty big issues. So we should we should mention those before everyone runs out and immediately buys this game. Yeah, not admittedly, it's it's ten dollars. Uh, so you know, if you have a good weekend with it, as I think you and I both did, uh, then you know you might be okay with it. But okay, I will I will I will air my first grievance. It's a small one. But uh, I think it's I think it's a telling mistake. The game does not know what its name is. It's like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like like this thing does not know what it's called and may not care uh, because in all the marketing, it is Gettysburg the tide turns. In Steam, it's Gettysburg the tide turns. Uh, in the EXE file is Gettysburg TTT.exe. Okay. The menus and the multiplayer all refer to the game as Battle Him Gettysburg. Um, including, like, the splash art, which it's, is a little bit weird, uh, but I think also sets an expectation for maybe a little bit of jank that the rest of the game delivers on. Yeah, the the map and the way the movements go is pretty great. I did have one situation. Um, it's Unity, I'm almost certain, which is... It's great to see Unity being used in this way, uh, because, you know, everyone sees Unity as, you know, a, a cheap 3D game that looks can look professional very easily. Here is a 2D-ass 2D game that also looks pretty great. That said, I had one point where I moved a Confederate uh, brigade into Gettysburg Town. I don't know that this matters. This could have happened at any point uh, on the map, or it could have been this one particular hex and one of my regiments in that brigade they're like the size of the brigade is measured by uh little tiny chits that uh you know a six 
a six-chit brigade is a very big one. A two-chit brigade is one that's almost totally gone. Um, anyway, one of those little regiment chants just started spinning. I think it was, you know, yeah, trying to go into right. formation. It just spun for the entire rest of the battle. I moved the brigade out. It was fine. But there was this little red spinny thing for the entire rest of the battle. It was great. I loved it. It was cute. But, uh, yeah, a slight problem. The bigger problem, though, is, as we both noticed, the AI is fairly easy to exploit. And so we decided to try to play some multiplayer, which, unlike Ultimate General Civil War, exists. <laughs> so we're we're at we're at a we're at a positive point now. However, um, it's either hot seat or play by email only, and this is a game that is built around a very fast paced movement and resolution. Yeah, it is the sort your of move game that, will be twenty five seconds, right? And, but there's this play-by-email thing where as soon as we do our move and it like it goes to a union turn or a confederate turn, whichever's the opposite side of you, it kicks you out of the game, sends an email to your partner saying, all right, it's your turn now. So they go and log in. They take their turn. It kicks them out again. And, you know, this is a game And this that- process is slow as hell, by the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. I swear to God, like, so each time you get your opponent's turn back... Uh, it has to download it and and load their move and then show you what happened. Uh, I swear to God, this is like Napster era speed. <laughs> like, I, like it says like loading and like five minutes go by, so the game can tell me that you moved three brigades, five hexes a piece up a road. Yeah, and and we did we did the very start of the battle for like four or five turns, so it's just you know me moving the Iron Brigade closer to Seminary Ridge. That's yeah. it. That's all that happened. I was and like, it was kept terrible. kicking us out. Um, yeah, and then just as as a weird like every time I played multiplayer and like loaded uh, the game, uh, I ended up having to control alt delete close the program uh, because yes, it trying to leave multiplayer would not it just would not let me. Uh, nor would it let us create a private match. Um, like we couldn't use the password. Uh, system so we just had to create an open match and uh sort of hop in before anyone else did which wasn't a problem because nobody was playing uh but i can imagine it being a problem yeah i i mean that that could have been human error at some level who knows but yeah this was not an easy process for a game that is built around kind of an accessible fast fun war game that should be played with another player um this this stuff does concern me. Like so, Shenandoah were an iOS developer uh, to begin with, and this definitely feels like an iOS game uh, in, in a lot of ways. And in a good way, I would say. Yeah, I, I would. I, I yeah, I did not mean that pejoratively. Uh, but on iOS, this stuff worked pretty snappily. Like when you pl- if you played uh, Battle of the Bulge, uh, it worked very well. Um, you could whip through through an asynchronous multiplayer game with somebody very, very quickly, and it didn't feel like you had this clunky play-by-email system. It just felt like, you know, any sort of asynchronous uh, iOS strategy game. Uh, this feels clunky as hell. It feels unstable. It feels totally unsuited uh, to the, the pace of the game itself. Um, and then it's just, it's, it's been left really unstable and kind of unfinished feeling, um, which worries me. Cause like when Shenandoah were on their own and were an independent developer, 
Uh, they were kind of known for their fit and finish. And now they've been acquired by uh, Slytherin. And it does not feel like those values have carried forward. And I don't know what the story is behind the development of this game. Like, I don't want to read, like, read too much into it. I am just going to say that, like, it, on the one hand, looks like it, it has a lot of the trademark production values and elegance of a Shenandoah game. But then it has, like, some real half-assed jank uh, that, you know, I do associate with, uh, you know, just about any PC game, uh, war game and strategy developer. Uh, but it's a little frustrating. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the sort of thing that I could see becoming a really good, consistent civil war, and you know, maybe going into some other war uh, series. Like, I, I like a lot of how this is put together, but the sort of lack of polish and relatively quiet release. Like, I got a couple emails from Matrix or whoever, but uh, like you and I started staring talking about it on Twitter a little bit and people are like, what the hell is this? Where did this come from? And it just seems to be have been put out relatively quietly given that this is a an accessible war game. Um, maybe even one of the more accessible war games since like Unity of Command. Um, so I there's a lot of promise here and some weirdness that could very easily be remedied with like a month of patches or six months of developing yeah. a new game or whatever. So definitely keep an eye on it. And if you want to spend $10, but don't quite expect the promise that it chose initially to be fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and, but I would say, I don't feel like I've been exploiting the AI. The AI just exploits itself. Like, it is, congrats, you played yourself. Like, that's the AI. I, like, I don't even, I don't even feel like I'm doing anything half the time. It's just, it's finding ways to get itself killed. It is the Ambrose Burnside of Civil War Commanders, where you're just sort of hanging out, and the AI's like, oh, this looks like a suicidal position. I'm gonna get real punished for being here. And... You're like, yep, you sure are. <laughs> well, you, I think you've been playing the Union more than I have. I've um, had it happen as the Confederates, though, too. Okay. Like, I like, dude, I had the first day of Gettysburg just turn into a charnel house uh, on the inside of the, the the sort of bowl formed by Cemetery Ridge, uh, where like the entire Union army basically just like ended up. In that pit behind the in that in that pit behind uh, Cemetery Ridge and Culp's Hill, and it basically turned into a mass grave. Um, and I don't feel like I did anything particularly clever. It's just the Union just really screwed up a lot, and I think which, to be fair, <laughs> would be expected before Mead. It's a secretly brilliant Civil War game. Uh, the Union kind of... The Union is repeatedly undone by truly shit generalship. Um, but yeah, the AI needs to stop forming mega batteries uh, quite so much. It needs to... Boy. <laughs> like, it just keeps sending, creating these like huge lines of artillery batteries exposed in open field. And yeah. being like, I'm sure this will be fine. Uh, I keep having the thing where it, when I play as the Confederacy, I just get to Seminary Ridge before the AI even shows up. So they just put 50 brigades on 
and around Cemetery and Culp's Hill, and it becomes a matter of puzzling out how to go through that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, to go, sort of go back to a, a general ending, um, to be a little depressing here, this oh, no. is probably... Like, we're, we're still having these struggles where we don't really have any kind of canonical, strategic or operational level Civil War game. Um, we're still, like, in the shadow of Sid Meier's Gettysburg for tactical level games. And while Sid Meier's Gettysburg is fantastic, it's not the only tactical level style game I want to play. I would like to play an entire battle, and I don't think that engine is good for that. It's good for the little scenarios that it does. Um, and the Civil War is probably the second most wargamed conflict in history. Uh, there are a lot more of these than there are World War One, or, you know, the Seven Years' Wars, or the American Revolution, or the Thirty Years' Wars, or whatever. It's, you know, the World War Two number one, Civil War, or number one, World War Two number one, Civil War number two, and then everything else. Well, maybe Napoleon. So we're we're in a situation where we're getting a bunch of these and we're still kind of puzzling out what feels like it should be pretty basic stuff. Um that that that's a little insulting. Basic is not quite the right word. It's we're down the path of still trying to make the best Gettysburg game. Yeah. And there are a lot of different other options for Civil War games that are not necessarily being taken, and I would like to like see that, and maybe eventually those will lead to the creation of the best Gettysburg game, the one that actually takes into account why the various different divisions are marching at Gettysburg from all these different directions and then making the decisions that they do on the first and second day that are brilliant or disastrous or both at the same time. So you take a look at the Civil War landscape and you see a crisis of creativity. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I would like to. Um, you no, know. I think that that's our episode title. I think, right. I think we nailed it. <laughs> another another genre solved. Another <laughs> another, or at least correctly diagnosed. Uh, I I no, but I do agree. Like Sid Meier's Gettysburg is such a good design and so good at representing this like type of combat that it feels like nobody is trying to <laughs> that nobody's like really challenging its representation uh instead they're just kind of tweaking it around the edges like ultimate general civil war is is kind of just um it's making it even more accessible in some ways a a, a little a little simpler but yeah, it, like everyone is still kind of, like if you're making a tactical civil war game, just about everybody is making a variant on on Sid Meier's Gettysburg. Um and I don't know for that kind of game, I I actually I don't fully know what a what a great representation would be at that scale, uh but certainly if you're willing to change the scale a little bit, a lot of possibilities open up, but yeah, we can see that with that. the tide turns. Yeah. That, that is a good example. There, there are probably some others that some grognards will tweet at us about. Um, Someday we're going to play a John Tiller game. I I played those battleground games in the nineties. Someday I, we're I, gonna, we're going to play a John Tiller game 
and form lasting memories of it. <laughs> I I remember the reenactment videos. <laughs> I remember the really really intense recordings of John Brown's body that played over the game. Um, but uh, another another issue that's in Myers Gettysburg is very much based around very small scenarios and a yeah. bunch of these other games want to be like what if Sid Meier's Gettysburg but big and I'm not sure that's the right the right way to go uh, I well I think I think it can be uh, like so when you played Scourge of War Waterloo um, I think that was undone by two things one is their tech base is just too damn old uh, to, to really sustain what they're trying to do Um. And then the fact that they were trying to model forts in a system just blatantly not designed for it uh, really screwed things up. But if somebody, like basically, somebody should look at the Take Command Scourge of War games, rip them the hell off, just steal steal those ideas, <laughs> put them in a more modern design, because it solves that problem of it, it. It sort of says, "Yes, what if Sid Meier's Gettysburg, but big?" And then the other insight was, "But a person can't command all that. Like realistically, it's just not feasible to take that and say, like, now you will command this entire army. Yeah. But if you take you it and will say, fuck up, yeah. But 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 what if you you were Yule? Then yeah. then you got a stew going." <laughs> Uh, I mean, the Scourge of War people can take that. Like, uh, I'm sure they would not mind having a more modern engine. It's just the amount of work towards versus whatever reward they're getting. You know, they haven't decided to do that yet. But uh, yeah, you don't you don't have to just steal. You could you could be it yourself. Uh, <laughs> be be the Civil War opus you want to see in the world. Yeah, um, but also I think, you know, look at battles that aren't Gettysburg. Gettysburg is very specific because Gettysburg has some of the most intense terrain in the history of human warfare. Yep. Um, and a lot of these battles have, you know, somewhat similar things like the Hornet's Nest and so on. But something like Second Bull Run is just based around a pretty good defensive position on a hill. It, it's one of the most tactically interesting battles. How have you not played Take Command Second Manassas? I how, how have, have you, not, you done not this? How have you not played Battleground Manassas with both both first and second bull run? Because I am not an old man. <laughs> that is that is how, Rowan, because I am not an old old man approaching my late thirties. I am in the prime of my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> so for for you for you the the John Tillery Battleground series you remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> I remember it the way early man remembered the Ice Age. Like yes, I've heard stories of when the great turn-based beasts wandered the PC. <laughs> uh, we need Troy on this episode now. Yeah, well, Troy, Troy still thinks I'm twelve. So <laughs> get your shine box, Rob. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I also was largely out of the really niche strategy game communities in the 2000s, or aka the real Dark Ages. So I, that's that's pretty much how I missed right. the. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna find. I'm not even sure they still sell it anymore because of all the 
drama that happened with that. I wrote a piece for Polygon years ago about how the Tick Man guys had this like horrible falling out, and one of them, depending on who you ask, uh, either rescued or stole the series from his partner. Um, but yeah, if you want to look up that history, uh, it's it's kind of sad. Uh, but I do kind of feel like that may have derailed the series uh, a little bit. Also, didn't help that um, you know the original publisher was Paradox. And yeah. Paradox and Wargaming has historically never worked out real well. And it didn't work out in that case either. But uh, yeah, so I need to find you a copy of that because like, it is a hell of a good war game. Um, and you're right, like Second, Second Manassas is a, is a fascinating uh, battle. Uh, that the game itself was heavily influenced by a book written by, the, um, by a Battlefield tour guide around Manassas, uh, who I think has only written a book on second Manassas. He's, you know, he's, he's an amateur historian, but it's a great book and he makes a pretty compelling case for uh, second Manassas as Lee's army of Northern Virginia at its absolute best. Like second Manassas is the machine operating to perfection. And in every other battle, even some of the celebrated ones, it's starting to break down. Different parts of it are starting to malfunction, but at Second Manassas, it all just works. Yeah. Um, also depends on probably having the worst Union generalship opposing him of the all of them. It's, uh, Pope, right? Yeah, Pope. Pope wasn't there for a lot of it. It was the the core commanders were just like totally at odds and incompetent at every possible level. Um, that at least that's what I'm remembering. I, I could be I. It could be that Pope was not the was not as innocent as I am making him out to be, but the core commanders <laughs> he didn't just, even go there. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't even there. And McClellan was like, oh, that's right. No, McClellan is borderline treasonous at this point, right? Like, right. He he's he's got his army possibly in range, and maybe just says, "I want Pope to lose so he doesn't march." So yeah, that's that's not a good sign. God, that's oh, that's the other. Okay, here's the other Civil War game we need. Hear me out. <laughs> the Team of Rivals visual novel. <laughs> I'm just going to... I'm not even going to explain that. We're just going to end on it. And we're going to say that, like, look, there's a lot of fruitful lines of inquiry around Civil War wargaming. There's a lot of designs you can think about, reinvent, a lot of games to look at. The visual novel people. Give it some thought. I mean, get get the artist who did that uh, that daddy... Dating sim. Oh my god! To draw oh Seward god. and McClellan yes. and Halleck. Dream and... Daddy's all Civil War generals anyway. <laughs> oh. Okay, it's, it's late. It, it's late. <laughs> I haven't done this in a couple weeks. I just moved home to Boston, uh, and the the pain medication for my fucked up back is starting to kick in because uh, oh, now I want this. Dream Daddy Civil War. So uh, maybe it's maybe it's I, time to call it. At, at least we've got an episode title. Yeah, we do. Oh my god! Yes. All right. Uh, anyway, that will do it. For this episode of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced uh, this week by Jonathan Downen, uh, who is filling in for Michael Hermes, who is on 
uh, hiatus. Uh, the Muse Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network and, excitingly, on SoundCloud, which we're going to have to figure out soon. <laughs> Because unless Chance the Rapper can save SoundCloud, uh, we might need to get our archives off that too sweet. Um, if you're a fan of the show, never a better time to download a bunch of episodes and store them on a, on a secondary storage device. Uh, you can learn more about the show, discuss this episode with our community at 3 or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, 3 Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan Kaiser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Good night. Good night.